welcome everyone to this episode of the Online Therapy Podcast. And uh, I'm your host, Renee McDonald, and I'm here today with Karen Byman. And uh, she runs Not My Closet. And um, I'm also here to ask her all about uh, how she's found the online therapy space. So over to you, Karen, can you give us a little bit of a background of yourself and what you are doing at the moment in the online space? Uh, yes, so I am a registered counsellor. I did a Bachelor of Counselling a little while ago and um, I work mostly with um, grief and loss type issues. Um, and I also have a particular area that I work in, which is um, like really, it feels like it's my life's work, actually. <laughs> I'm very passionate about it. And that is um, working with people who have discovered um, or had it disclosed to them that their partner is LGBTQIA+. <laughs> we'll just say LGBT. So these are people who've been in a long-term relationship, whether married or not, um, and they have usually not had any idea that their partner isn't um, heterosexual or cisgender. And when they discover the, the truth, it um, kind of knocks the wind out of their sails and um, they often end up coming to see me. Um, so that's um, sort of a branch of my, my business that I run and I call that not my closet. Um, so it's not their closet and it probably shouldn't be anybody's closet. So yeah, that's, um, that's really the, the primary work that I do in addition to um, general grief and loss counselling. And I do it all online. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so all of that work is done online. Uh, where do you generally uh, have your clients come to you from? What were, the, were your general clients? Um, well, I initially started off seeing people face-to-face -face in Melbourne, so Melbourne, Australia. So I do have clients that have come to me through that. Um, and I will be returning face-to-face -face as well as staying online eventually. Um, but I also have clients come to me from really all over Australia at the moment um, in quite a few different states. A lot of them have come to me via Facebook um, through word of mouth recommendations and um, um, recommended in different groups and things like that. Um, so I'm really keen to kind of go a little bit beyond um, Australia as well. I'm half Kiwi, so I'm really keen to um, sort of branch out into New Zealand and wherever else as well, but that's a bit of a focus for me. Um, I just, I love being able to be online with people because it means I can reach people anywhere, wherever they are. It's um, a very, I think when, when your focus is really targeted, the, the geographical region you, you has to be quite broad and that's where online is absolutely perfect for what I do. Mm, absolutely. Um, that's the beauty of working online, particularly if you've got a specific niche. Yeah. Uh, wanted to ask you a few things about your background before being a therapist and what might have led you to be a therapist. Can you tell everyone what you would, I guess, what, whatever you're prepared to share about what kind yeah. of helped you go in the direction of being becoming a counsellor or therapist in the field? Well, I've known that I wanted to do it since I was a teenager and that was a fairly long time ago. <laughs> um, I grew up in a, um, a small nuclear family and we took two foster children into our home and it really blew my mind and opened my whole world up to um, 
a whole lot of other ways of being in the world and some of the things that people struggle with. And I knew from a very young age that I wanted to do something just to make a difference um, and to work with people. I had all different ideas about what that might look like. Um, and I went in, initially went into what well, was going to go into social work back in the 80s. Um, got as far as orientation day at uni, but I had itchy feet. I wanted to save the world. I wanted to travel and do volunteer work overseas. And um, so I sort of was trying to find my way, ended up married instead. And in the process of all of that, I had some really big challenges. Um, had a baby who died due to negligence after nine hours. And that was a another sort of really pivotal moment where I knew that I will eventually do something to help others. Um, so, you know, I got involved with SANS um, and there was another organization called Bonnie Babes Foundation back then. And I almost did their training, but I really just, the loss of my own child shifted my priorities quite a lot and mothering became something that was just so, so precious. And I didn't want to miss a moment of it. So I sort of put it all on hold for quite a long time. Uh, raised my kids and then sort of towards the end of that process after 24 years of marriage was when I found out that my own husband was actually gay and that sort of was quite uh, significant in my life of course um, and that took me into a lot of my own well I'd already had therapy actually when my son, my son died took me again into therapy and through that process I then ended up going into studying counselling and I sort of have held space, I suppose, for really this grief and loss work. As you can see where it comes from. There's been so much of that. Um, my father also died of cancer. Um, and over time, it's become that I've really become very, very focused on the work with the partners of LGBT positive people. I think because I, I would really love to work with perinatal, like people who've um, been bereaved by loss of a child as well. Um, but there's not um, many people doing this work with, with um, the heterosexual cisgender partners of closeted LGBT people. And I had to come up with a name, like not my closet, because it's just too long to keep saying heterosexual cisgender partners of LGBT closeted people. So not my closet became sort of the catch phrase for that. So I just have a lot of um, passion for this that's, um, you know, been building up for decades, really. And so through volunteer work and everything before my own training and during my training, it just it was a passion that just kept growing. Um, so it's something I'm very excited about. Yeah. Awesome. I, I'm also aware that um, how much you built your practice over time, over the last few years, probably it, it being an observer of your process, Karen, over the last few years um, and, you know, uh, just seeing you, because I think initially I got to know you over social media, which is also interesting yeah. to say out loud for the therapists out there that um, relationships are possible to start from that kind of process. Um, and then from there, what, what I see is almost like a blossoming of you becoming a professional. Um, it's certainly been a process for me as an observer. What's it been like, that process for you over the last few years, kind of coming into your own as a, as a fully-fledged therapist now? Um, it's been interesting. I mean, people talk a lot about imposter syndrome, and I think, you know, we all experience that from time to time. 
but for me, I think coming into um, this work a little bit older with a lot of life experience, like deep, you know, <laughs> tragic life experience in many ways, um, I guess I, I really, really respect the field and I respect the, the, um, the importance of holding this space with real, real um, deep um, empathy. I, when I say respect, I really mean something that's very deep in, in how, the importance of this work. Um, and so observe, I've really appreciated being able to observe other more experienced counsellors and, and what they're doing and how they speak of their work. And um, it just feels like such a privilege. And yeah, I actually do have social media to thank for a lot of, a lot of um, how it's been able to, like when you're at university and you study all the academics and the theories and the skills and everything, and then you have your work with clients, but you also learn so much from your colleagues and, and um, hearing other people, people not talk about specifics of their work, but um, just some of their ideas and so on. So I guess I feel like I'm part of this sort of um, cohort of people just offering something to the world that is so needed. Yeah. Yeah, oh, um, I'm hearing you on many levels and I think um, I really like that you're open about sharing your story but also yeah. open to the clients sharing theirs. Because what I think is happening across social media is a mix match of lots of different things going on, particularly in the coaching space of oversharing. But then mm. there's also the, the, the therapist not realising that there might need to be a little bit of a share at least. So yeah. it's how to get that balance right. I yeah. actually think most of the time you get that balance right, Karen, because it's this thing of if if you've had a, a loss of a child you don't always want to go to someone who doesn't know how that yeah is. Mm -hmm. you know it's really super important that you go to someone who mm -hmm. at least has had some unfortunately grief experience in their life like serious grief so that they can hold the space for you what do you think about that I think a lot of things about that. <laughs> I um, I refer to myself now as a lived experience counsellor, and I think it is something that is um, it, it adds a certain depth to the work. Um, you know, the the idea of the wounded healer. I think it was Carl Jung that, that came up with that. And um, when we bring into our work with clients our own um, experience of pain and loss, or, or whatever it is, that's a part of who we are, and we've integrated that into our own life and into our own growth and development and that I think it really enriches the work that we do and it, it is a fine line how much to share I, I still struggle with that you know I, I could I'm very open and I could talk a lot about my own journey but I'm also mindful that in, in particularly with my my marriage situation it's not only my story it's someone else's so I, I hold respect for that as well so I think the other aspect of this, though, is that when I'm working with a client, it's not about my story. So it's sort of, I see it as it sort of um, empowers my empathy, I guess. I really, I can really have a deep sense of that sort of um, what could be going on for them. And it can really guide me in terms of my compassion and direction or sort of just sitting, really companioning that person through their therapy journey. Um, but I'm very aware that it's their journey, not mine. And so I, I'm very focused on sort of bracketing my own stuff when I'm with them and using it perhaps as a bit of a guide, but with the focus being on 
their story and and their needs in the moment. Um, and that look part of the challenge of that is online as well. Um, and you know, in the training that I did with you when we when we learned about um, online disinhibition, it is something I personally struggle with that I think we all do. And and I mean. It's pretty clear that there's a lot of people out there <laughs> in um, social media comments and so on that um, it's a real thing that it can be hard to find that balance between remembering that the people we're talking to are real people with real emotions and um, connecting at that level is so important so yes I value the fact that I have lived experience because the um, the issues that I work with often are issues that are very difficult for people to comprehend if they haven't experienced it and the feedback that I get is that it's really helpful to go to someone who gets it, who has a sense of what it's like to feel invisible or unseen or diminished somehow by other people's responses to their suffering, to know that they can come to me and they will be truly deeply seen and held while they process their stuff. And there will be no judgment and also no expectations that their journey will in any way mimic mine or my choices. That, that I'll understand that it's theirs and I'll support them in kind of whatever they do. Yeah. Wow. Um, I really love that you've thought so deeply about that. So just you were talking about online disinhibition and that makes me want to go <laughs> to another place. Um, so this is also a chance because I often ask um, people who've done my training um, and give them the opportunity almost to think about what have you learned personally about yourself and how the online space might be different through either doing training or self-reflection or what have you? So what, that's a, it's kind of like a big thing, but do you know the process that you took, because it took you it, longer than some of my other train, trainees, for example, the learners going through the process, and yet you got there in the end, and I thought that was brilliant, um, you know, because you were doing it alongside a lot of other study that you were doing. And so it probably allowed you to think a bit more deeply about how you sat in the online therapy space. What's that like for you now? And what is the process of training and learning a bit more deeply about how to hold this, the virtual space? How is that different to what you were learning at college? Um. Well, it is quite different and I did, yes, I did take a while to get through it and I was pleased in the end to finally submit that final piece. <laughs> um, but yeah, it gave me an opportunity to really think, what am I doing this for? Why am I doing this training when I could have just done a quick workshop in, in working online to transfer, you know, what I knew about working face-to-face. -face. And I think initially I went into wanting the training and I think a lot of therapists are like this, where we look for, we want to understand the how-to you know, the, the tech side of things like, oh, what's the best um, way to do this? Or oh, should I use Zoom or something else? And, and what's the best trick for this and the techniques and so on? And, and all of that is important. And, you know, that was the initial part, initial part of the training. But what I really guess sort of sang the loudest for me was getting into the deeper parts of this, the work in terms of really learning about how to hold that space and having a very strong sense of, me here embodying my world and my space and really grounding myself in a way that um, I can be deeply present with the person on the other side of the screen. And I've really learned to see the, the screen as, um, as a window, as a, like a portal, really, <laughs> to the person in their world. So now you're there. And so like, say with a client, you know, by both of us really being very deeply present in our own space and connecting through 
this uh, medium, it's so powerful. And really being able to focus on that, that was, I think, out of all the training that I did, that was the thing that has affected me the most. And I still remember one time with a client literally trying to almost wanting, feeling like I could pass the tissues through the screen because it just felt like we were in the same space because we weren't in the same room, but we were in the same space, the same cyberspace or emotional space together at the same time. Um, so learning about that and then how to transfer that even to working with just words. So like for email therapy, how to actually um, make that work a bit deeper. So it's not just trick techniques and all of the gizmo stuff, but the, the deeper emotional work and how to do that well um, in the online medium. I'm not sure if I've answered your question. But. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> um, but I think that really gives an idea for other people, not just about, you know, hey, it'd be great for people to come to the training, but it's another side to it is that how do we think more deeply about mm. how to do the work when we're not in the same room? Yeah. Yeah, and I really much. loved it. it made my heart sing to hear that <laughs> that is that you see this now as a window, a portal, or yes. you know, yeah. or, or what have you. I mean, some clinicians now call it the vortex. Um, mm. A lot of people, um, you know, so you know that I talk about it as a liminal, um, and certainly mm. in the Jungian work, it's called the liminal, and and yet the liminal is itself if we look at things like the ghost in the shell the ghost in the machine that kind of work from from even you know media and entertainment stuff around the fact that what if the technology itself almost has a personality on its own that is that is like kind of something really fascinating that a lot of therapists aren't thinking about that that is it a barrier to connection or can it be an opening to deeper connection even? Yeah, uh, that really resonates with me. And it probably, um, <laughs> it, the fact that I'm a mother of all still teenagers just, but you know, they were recently teenagers, the other ones, um, because you know, have spent probably far too much time watching movies with my kids around that have things like portals and energy fields or you know parallel universes and stuff so I guess I bring some of that into how I see this um, because it is um, it's a different way of being it's not just therapy in two different locations it's a whole mm -hmm. different thing and that connection um, in this space can be very, very effective because mm. you've got the other person in their comfort zone. You've got yeah. the other person in their space and you're mm. in your space mm. and you can share things. You know, I can share resources online with clients that I wouldn't have had access to maybe in the room or, but it's yep. not that. It's, it's, the, it's that, that real connection and, and being able to do that for clients is um, so important mm. so that they do really feel um, held Mm. not just mm. virtually but really held um, mm. in a working less way yeah I love all of that that you said because there's so many therapists who've said oh they gave zoom a go and they've given it up or yeah um, forget it but there's also another side to that too or it's seen as the poor cousin or, or the, you mm. know um and I know for a fact I've done some amazing sessions things that I would not have done in the face-to-face -face space no, and not unethical at all, just, just completely different. So the, a completely different experience. So mm -hmm. 
holding the space, it's also acknowledging that there's mostly space between me and the client. Um, and so what do you what do you think about that? Um, I have a few thoughts in my head. I when I think about space, I, I think it might be something I just recently read or something in my own mind, I don't know, um, about the idea that when a person puts forward their story or their emotions, they're putting it sort of like into a space in front of them. And mm. us as the therapist, we come forward from our space and meet them there. We meet them in mm. that space between. And in that space between, we can um, experience something together that's very special um, and very effective. And I think we can do that. Oh, I'm a, probably, I've, I've become quite, a, quite passionate about online work because I think in some ways it can be more effective so like I recall situations where, you know, people might have something in their room that's particularly meaningful. They can take it, they can hold it, they can touch it. And then then I can see that part of them that I might not have seen elsewhere, you know. So, um, yeah, I could talk on about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that speaks volumes to what I guess the, the training that I do and the work that I've done, the research I've, I've done in the field, almost to talks to that that of which I try to bring forward because I know you'd appreciate this because there's a certain element of spirituality or for want of a better word um, that, that comes with the concept of the space between as well and so that then you know in the transpersonal psychotherapeutic perspective there's the this element of well what is that and what is beyond the self and how is it that we can still understand and hold the space then if there is no um, physical space being held between us and the other so this is kind of the the issue that perhaps even atheist therapists may have or or therapists that just believe in say the existential approach with nothing else um, it, so, but then there's also the concept of the phenomenology, phenomenological kind of context of yes. the space, like of, well, how does that space work if we don't, if we aren't totally joined or, mm. or not? And then there's that disconnection concept that a lot of people then just found. And is it their anxiety or is it the client's anxiety or is it a combination of both? So there's so many things mm. to think about there. Anything that kind of piques your interest that you'd like to talk to, what I've just commented on? <laughs> um, well, I think quite existentially, and I think that's because of um, my experience of having my life's meaning sort of felt like it was taken from me when my marriage felt like it became erased. Um, and so it caused me, because I put my heart and soul into that, it caused me to really take stock of thinking, well, what is life about now? Where is meaning? What is this? Mm. What is this? Now, what do I have? If I have not this, what do I have? Who am I? These big questions. So I guess what you said about the existential um, therapist or, or whatever people who think that way may find it harder to connect to this idea of the sort of the space between or whatever. But what came to my mind when you said that was like that I inhabit my reality here, that my, my existence in this space is real for me and the meaning that I take from that. And for you, your existence in your sphere in the room that you're sitting in it's your meaning and your reality and it's real for you and so even though um, those two things may seem really separate that well like you say phenomenology the experience the shared experience of of 
both of us being in our spaces at the same time and working together does sort of, I, I feel, cross that divide quite effectively. Mm. Um, and it, so it becomes like a shared meaning in, mm. in this moment together. Mm. So I think it can work even, even if people have quite different ideas about, about mm. that sort of transpersonal thing or they might be someone who's much more... Um, you know more tactile more mm -hmm. just focused on their physical world or whatever even yep. then working online together they've got tangible physical things in their space so for instance I don't have it at the moment on my desk but I often have on my desk a little um heart-shaped pendant that has a photo mm -hmm. of my baby in it that died so you know like if I was someone who was say I was the client and I was um really more of a tactile person not into that sort of other stuff so much I can at least hold that and really ground myself and feel very mm -hmm. much in mm -hmm. my space and doing something that and I might be able to like do practical things while working mm -hmm. together whether it's writing something or whatever yeah. so I just feel like there's just so many ways of working mm -hmm. that means that we can work in a way that works for the client absolutely yeah that's brilliant. <laughs> I love that you've gone there. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we're pretty much out of time, but I wanted to ask you a few final questions, I guess. Um, how can people find you? And, um, you know, just give us uh, how um, you'd prefer to be contacted by anyone listening in. Yeah, no problem. So my main website is just karenbyman.com and my email is pretty easy. It's just karen at karenbyman.com. So that's super simple. Um, I'm also on social media. Um, karen Byman Counselling is the tag on Facebook and Instagram. Um, and if people are interested in the work that I do with Not My Closet, um, then that's just simply notmycloset.com. Um, and I think the tag is Not My Closet anymore. So um and the email for that is Karen at Not My Closet. But really, you can just keep contact me at my Karen Byman page if you want. That's quite easy. Um, and I'm, yeah, I'd really love to hear from people. I, you know, I work with um, individual counselling, couples counselling. Um, I'll soon be offering discernment counselling for couples who are sort of on the brink of trying to make sense of this, you know, relationship and and what to do with it and and um, trying to work out a way forward. Um, and also with the grown or 14 or whatever children who've had one parent come out so like there's lots of opportunities for people to work with me if they're interested or if they just want to touch base um, and ask any questions um, about what I do because it is a little bit different than, than um, some people and I'd really love to connect with some other people who are working in the LGBT community so that we can sort of network and um, and cross-refer or whatever so Mm. Yeah, karenbyman.com is probably the easiest. So, and if you can't spell that, not my closet. Anyone can spell that, and that's just not my closet.com. So, and that's for all of the listeners. Uh, K A R E N B I E M A N.com. Um, but just giving you a hand with that. Um, so, um, so yes, yeah, so thank you. I was going to ask you specifically what services you offer and you've <laughs> to just throw them in there <laughs> yeah absolutely um so so i guess um yeah just uh, uh if anybody wants to contact karen she's also listed on my website as well um and karen's done all of the different training so she's fully qualified uh, counselor and online counselor um and yes, yeah, so thank you everyone for listening and thanks Karen for coming. Um, it's always a privilege and a pleasure to speak to you. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's a real privilege. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks Karen. Mm -hmm.